this is Dr. Alan Pratt uh, with Dr. Chris Silver uh, with the, the Rural Voice, the National Rural Education Podcast. We are recording today on May 5th, and Chris, I know you're going to pop in here. What is what is May 5th? Um, what is May 5th? <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, right? Oh, I was because see, I, I'm a I'm a sci-fi buff, so I, I May 4th was like Star Wars Day, so. That's why I brought it up because I knew you'd bring up May the Fourth with you. So yeah, so I'm a purpose, big science so. fiction buff. So I, yeah, I was all about, uh, you know, May the Fourth be with you. And of course, I, to you know, I'm also I also like to be a rabble rouser a little bit. So I was of course sending Star Trek memes to all my friends, and that was making them mad, and that was a lot of fun. So yeah, so we are now probably being picked up by someone that is in the sci-fi realm, and we we're going to be on their list because we brought that up. So thanks. I for know, that. I know, but hey, I, I, I like it. I'm good with it. Um, I'll, I'll cite anything that they. I, I can prove my worthiness. I can cite anything they want to challenge me on. Oh, yeah. So it's a special day because uh, we have great guests, and we'll get to our guests here in a second. But Dr. Jared Bigham is not with us today. He has a little uh, a little virus stomach bug heat that his kids have shared with him, or vice versa. So he's down for the count. He'll be back soon. Um, once again, always a reminder that our podcast is sponsored by Win Learning. Win Learning is a career pathway and also really a, a, a tool that schools and students can use to discover what they may be interested in and dig deeper a little bit on careers. Uh, speaking of careers and a podcast guest, we are, and I'm going to say this, this is, this is, I'm excited. We have one of probably, I, I would say, the most qualified guest, speaker, person of interest on our podcast in a long, long time. And, and I will say this, this is, I've been, in, I've been waiting for this. We did a pre-meeting this week and I'm as excited after I met her. So we have with us today, Dr. Lisa Costello. She is a native West Virginian. And Lisa, you can correct me if I say anything wrong here in a second, but she, is on the campus in Morgantown at West Virginia University. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think in West Virginia, it's either West Virginia or Marshall. And she is with the what they would say, the real West Virginia University, the <laughs> real school. So we're excited to have Dr. Costello with us today. Dr. Skells, tell us a little bit about your background and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for having me. And I do uh, bleed gold and blue. I'm a, a native West Virginian. I originally hail from Weirton, West Virginia, which is a steel mill town. I come from a family of uh, steel workers, and I came to uh, WVU um, right out of high school to actually play women's bas basketball. So I was a, a center guard, center of the bench, guarding the water bottles, but um, loved getting to play for my home state team and uh, have stayed here to do all of my training. And I care for children in the hospital here in, in Morgantown and have been working on the pandemic response with my uh, state leadership for the past uh, two years. So uh, love the, the Mountaineers. Um, we, we give credit to Marshall as well. I, I don't have much green in my wardrobe, though. So uh, I am definitely a golden blue kind of girl. So I will say that being on the campus at University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, Marshall was in our conference for a long time, a rival. So everyone that listens from this area is happy with your statement there with little green in your closet. Trust me. It, it is it is a unique opportunity for us. And I'm, I'm going to start off this way. And Dr. Stillo, give us kind of a brief kind of what 
you started with in let's say May, March of 2020 and kind of what you dealt with briefly till now? Uh, we know the difficulties of the pandemic, but from a, a you know a pediatric side, tell us kind of what you dealt with. I think it's a lot different where we're at now than where we were, you know, over two years ago. We've had a lot of things happen. There's been a lot of changes. So I think many of us remember, you know, I, I'm a big basketball fan. I remember, you know, when they stopped all the conference tournaments and, you know, the NCAA tournament was canceled. We were shutting down schools, um, you know, really unprecedented in um, our lifetime. So, um, and that was all in an effort to try to prevent, you know, disease and prevent the worst from happening. So a lot of people getting sick or, or dying. Um, since that time, we've learned a lot about um, the virus, uh, SARS-CoV-2, so the virus that causes COVID-19. I'll, I'll just refer to it as COVID-19. And we've learned a lot about that. And we continue to learn about how it spreads and um, its impact. And we know that the virus changes over time. So we hear all about these variants or different strains, which we know is common in, in viruses in general. Um, but we've learned more about the specific virus that's caused this pandemic that we're in. And notably, we have vaccines. So we have a, a way to prevent this from happening, from people getting severely ill, ending up in the hospital or, or worse. And we also have other treatment options now for, for COVID-19. So we have other treatments that are available to help reduce the severity of the disease if, if you get it. So it's a different space, um, but we're still learning a lot about the, the virus. And right now, as we're talking, we still have a group of individuals who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. So those who are under five years old. So we've learned a lot. We still have more to learn. And we've made a lot of changes um, to, I think, how we all interact. But uh, it's definitely a more hopeful place, but still uh, being mindful of, of the impact that COVID-19 has on many assets of our life. And I think that's you did a great job explaining that two year process and, and going through it because you, you have a unique lens on this. I mean, so we're, we're going to say congratulations. You have a three month old at home and, and thinking of that with our rural parents and, and people that you may see, but our rural listeners, what advice would you give parents that you would give the parents or the, the patients that come to see you about the vaccination process for their children and school age children? It certainly has been a different perspective for me over the past three months. So I do have a, a little one at home. It's my my husband and I's first child. So uh, she's been wonderful and a bundle of joy. But I think most parents want to do what protects their child. And uh, that's what we do as parents, right? We want to do what's best for our child, want to protect them, make sure they have a safe environment. And when it comes to the pandemic and this virus, really the most effective way we have to prevent really bad things from happening is to get vaccinated. And so right now we have a, a safe and effective vaccine available for uh, people five years and older. Um, we are hoping maybe in the next few weeks, um, next month or two, we will also have a vaccine available for children under five. But I think it's important for parents and, and caregivers of children to, to, to do their homework, to ask questions of their pediatrician, uh, to 
figure out what's best for them. But really, when I've looked at all of the evidence and, and how the studies were performed and, and what we have from the, the data, the vaccines are safe and effective. And we know that vaccines have the capability to end epidemics. And we've seen already uh, the impact that vaccines have had in, in saving lives, preventing hospitalizations uh, when it comes to COVID-19. So um, I will look at the data that comes out for under age five, but I very much anticipate vaccinating my daughter uh, when she becomes eligible. Dr. Costello, I'm oh, sorry, I was going to. Chris, I was going to cue to you. Go ahead. Buddy. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. So one of one of the criticisms I think that that I've recently heard um, on NPR and some of the media has been related to the efficacy of the vaccine for this this very specific population. And um, of course, you know, the response to that has been, um, from what I have seen, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, has been that they. Um, this was going during this was they were testing this vaccine during um, I think it was the Omicron variant, I believe. So the efficacy was down because it was based on some of the earlier. I think the vaccine was based on some of the early variants. Could you speak to that a little bit? Because some parents might have concern about rolling this vaccine out, assuming that the efficacy is lower, not taking that into account. Maybe. These vaccines have the most rigorous monitoring, including safety monitoring in, in U.S. history. So I think it's a really good point you bring up, Chris, that we continue to monitor all the vaccines that have been authorized or approved for use in the United States and their effectiveness. And that's actually one of the powers of of getting enough people vaccinated is that if we can get enough people protected, we'll hopefully start to see less of these variants or changing of the virus. But right now, we certainly continue to see different strains of the, the virus um, come into our communities. And so each time that happens, we have to look at the effectiveness of our, our vaccines. And for a vaccine to get the nod of approval from the FDA and the CDC, it has to meet a, a certain threshold. So it has to to meet a standard that's going to provide effectiveness. And so I think it's really important to remember that, you know, we're going to continue to look at these vaccines and that's what we'll have to see, particularly for that under age five population that the, the data we expect to come here in the next few weeks and, and how effective the vaccine is. But having that protection um, is better than no protection at all, um, because I've cared for kids in the hospital that have been really sick from from COVID. And unfortunately, we've had children die from from COVID. So I think we need to continue to monitor how effective our vaccines are. But for the vaccines to even get into use, they have to meet that that threshold. And uh, we'll continue to, to look at that when each variant, you know, that we see pop up comes. So um, the vaccines continue to show effectiveness against uh, these strains that we have. And I think for me, that's the important part, having some protection that can help prevent those really severe outcomes. Because that's what these vaccines were designed to do. I think sometimes we get caught up of, oh, I got vaccinated, but I still got COVID. Well, the vaccines weren't necessarily studied for that. We know that it does have a little bit of protection in that, but really the, the vaccines were designed to help prevent severe hospitalizations and death. So if you do get COVID, you're going to have a much milder course than if you weren't vaccinated. And I'll, I'll let Chris respond as well, but I think an unbelievable answer, number one, and thank you for your honesty on this, because I, I think people just, they want to they understand 
as much as possible. And we, he and I both have, have had friends or people we knew in our rural communities that oh, did yeah. not get vaccinated. That oh, passed yeah. away. And, I, and we lost great people in our rural communities. And you, oh, yeah. and you, and you're, you're also speaking to folks that, you know, I'm triple vaxxed and I, I go boost, I think May or June and I'll do it again. Um, I, you know, we're, we're all about it. My wife's a diabetic. So I, I feel like for me personally, I don't want to bring anything home that may have a, uh, something that could harm her or my family in general. So Chris, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to jump yeah, in and make that statement. No, no, Alan, your point's very well taken. And, and Alan and I both are born and raised Southerners. Uh, I know my accent's not as thick as, as some some of my colleagues. But, you can say um, Alan's. It's okay. It's not going to Well, or even okay. Jared. We miss yeah. you, Jared. Um, but, but, you know, the thing is, I grew up, I grew up in a very small town in, in Appalachian Mountains, um, actually right, right in the Cumberland Plateau. And, I, you know, I've, I've lost friends to COVID. I've lost, uh, you know, parents of friends to COVID. And, you know, a lot of it was related to, to, you know, misinformation. So, but again, I'm, you know, born and raised Southern myself. So I buy, you know, I buy into a lot of the, the values that, that we have in the South, but, but I think safety is, is, First and foremost, Alan, that's why I appreciate you saying that is it doesn't matter where we fall. We always jokingly talk about another podcast about all this being across the political spectrum. But I think that's something we all agree on is the safety piece, especially when it comes to our kids. Good gosh, I have a 10 year old and, you know, um, I don't know what I'd do if I lost him. So um, I think it's incredibly important. Um, And I've got one more question, Dr. Costello, which is. Given all the different approaches and the different perspectives on how these different organizations and entities have handled the virus, um, could you speak a little bit to some of that and like what that looks like in terms of some of these different comparisons of the response to the virus and how these different groups or entities have handled it? It's a great question, Chris. I think that COVID is here to stay. I think that we're going to have to learn how to live with COVID in our communities and I try to not compare different, you know, viruses or diseases to one another because each has their own, you know, their own set of symptoms and their severity and their impact on our communities. So I think, you know, every nation took a different approach. And honestly, in our country, states have taken a different approach. So between states, and I think that can be confusing for, for people. I'm a lifelong West Virginian, um, you know. People want um, information. They trust local people in their communities. Um, in West Virginia, I think where y'all are at in Tennessee are the same. We have a lot of scrappy, resilient people, and uh, they want to make choices for themselves. And uh, they also want to do what's best for their community and help out their their neighbor. And I think it's my job as working in public health to inform them and make sure that we can get information that's accurate, that's uh, clear and consistent and help them make an informed decision for themselves and their families, because there is so much information out there. As you noted, so many different countries have taken different approaches. I think here in the United States, um, we are learning how to, uh, you know, 
our coronavirus czar in West Virginia, Dr. Clay Marsh, who I work closely with, you know, he has frequently referred to it based upon Thomas Pulho's writing as it's a dance. So we have to kind of learn how to continue to adapt to new changes in the, the pandemic um, and with this virus in our community as it, it continues on. And so I think the more information I can provide as a pediatrician, as a public health person to help people make those informed decisions, that's that's my job, knowing that there are some people who I'm never going to be able to give enough information to that they're going to make that decision for their family. But I do think there's a lot of people out there who have questions and there's many different places to get credible information like the American Academy of Pediatrics for Children. Um, I'm very involved in the American Academy of Pediatrics, so I always try to send my friends my patients um, and colleagues who have questions to reputable sources uh, to get that information so they can make the informed decision for themselves and their family. I think you make a good point about trying to find information. And one of the things that we've been a partner with from the first part of it is that we can do this campaign, which has also been a part of a lot of the information that we send out. And obviously, Chris will tag some of that information and, of course, your information as well on this podcast as it goes out. Um, I kind of want to hit, if you're talking to, and let's just be honest, most rural educators have been vaccinated. Most rural educators that, that dealt with this have been vaccinated. We, we had our conference this fall and we required testing on site, quick test. And I would say, and Chris was there, I would say probably 95% of the people that came are already vaccinated or, and or boosted at certain levels. So yeah. They're there. You know, for us, we want to do this podcast because we want people that listen to us that have influence in communities. What, what is the message moving forward summer to fall on vaccines and health and, and other alternatives like you mentioned earlier? So what would your message be to them? Educators play such an important role in so many assets. I owe so much to my educators throughout my uh, education journey. And I went to school for a long time. I think I ended up graduating uh, in the 22nd or 24th grade, however you want to uh, account that. And so I think educators play such an important role. And here in West Virginia, we saw the same thing. I mean, teachers were some of our highest numbers of getting vaccinated, particularly in the beginning part of the rollout, um, you know, getting access for educators to be vaccinated to protect uh, children. Because at the time, you know, if we're throwing back to when the vaccines were first authorized for use, you know, we were all, they were only available for, for 16 and over. We didn't even have a vaccine for under 16. I think now, you know, that seems so long ago, but teachers really stepped up to get protection for themselves. I think for me personally, seeing the impact the pandemic has had on uh, children and teens, there are so many other impacts other than the, the actual disease symptoms that can cause long-term complications health-wise, uh, physically, but also the mental health challenges that we've seen. It was already a challenge, particularly in my state, and I'm sure across the country, particularly in rural communities, we've, we've seen that, and the pandemic has only uh, made that worse. And so there's other impacts on children, how much they missed out being in the classroom and, and how they had to be taken out of the classroom. So I think teachers were on the front lines and, and saw and continue to see that impact. And so they want to do what they can to protect uh, themselves and, and those around them by choosing vaccination. So I think the message right now is 
vaccination is the most effective way that we're going to continue to move forward uh, with COVID-19 and being able to prevent the disease and particularly prevent those severe cases and ending up in the hospital or worse um, is through vaccination. And, and the vaccines are safe and they are effective and they're studied and monitored so rigorously more than any other vaccine in our history. And so getting information from trusted sources, have those conversations, call your pediatrician, ask those questions to feel uh, to get the information that you need. And I think educators play such an important role. We've worked very closely in our state with school nurses and, and the Department of Education to get information out because I think there are a lot of people who want that information. We need to provide them with uh, the reputable information because there's a lot of information out there that's not true or inaccurate, whether it's misinformation or disinformation. So uh, for me, I think the message is the vaccine is safe and effective, and it's it's really our strongest tool in our toolbox to continue to turn the tide on the impact that COVID-19 has had on our communities. And certainly, without a doubt, educators and teachers play such an important role in our communities as many community partners to get that information out to people and make sure that we can also answer questions they may have, too. Great answer. And, and we started off with the most informative guest we've had in a long time. Now you see why I said what I said, because um, unbelievable. She, and here's the beauty of the whole thing for me. Uh, Dr. Costello and Chris can pipe in on this. You get it from different layers, meaning yeah. from hometown to the context of rule to what it means about to be from a state and how to how to help your state and and someone coming from a rural community that have that has made it that's in in, in at the university and helping so many people across the state that's what rural schools are all about is raising up the next generation so kudos and and unbelievable so chris please add to i, I yeah. can keep going so no absolutely in effect um it, we've had a number of episodes over the past couple of years about covid and and a lot of it's been i think alan from an administrator's view yeah. or you know a teacher's view and it's 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 finally great to have someone with your expertise dr costello to actually give us some insights and bridge and bridge all those different areas for us because you know everyone's speaking from their silos and and it's nice to have that that it, individual who really understands all the layers as Alan was saying to the complexity of this thing that you know it's it, you, like you said it seems like it's going to be around a while so we you know we might as well settle in and work together to solve it you know and I really appreciate you having me on I found a new podcast that I like to listen to and now so I appreciate you having me on and I think us in this space or people who work in, in healthcare you know, I'll tell you what I know. I'll also tell you what I don't know. And we've learned a lot over the past two years. We still have a lot more to learn. And that's what I try to do. And I always try to treat people how I would want my family to be treated. And so uh, it's been a true honor for me to get to talk to y'all, but then also to get to work on this in my in my state. Um, that's why I stayed home and, and stayed in West Virginia. I love being a West Virginian and uh, I love being a mountaineer, so I'm grateful to get to help uh, however I can my my state and learn from others, too, and learn how other states have done it and learn how we can continue to, to help people. And, and hopefully moving forward in this pandemic, we can learn or take some of the lessons we've learned and start addressing other uh, 
various health conditions that impact our communities, whether it's mental health or, um, you know, diabetes or heart disease or what have you, we can start using what we've learned to turn the tide on some of these other issues that impact our communities. And in West Virginia, you know, substance use disorder, mental health, those are big challenges that we face. And hopefully some of what we've learned in the partnerships we've had, as you talked about the partnership with HHS that you all have, um, I think those partnerships are really going to be key moving forward. And hopefully we can grow them to start tackling some other uh, challenges that we have in our community. And I think that's well stated as well. You know, there's two parts of how we close the show out. You know, number one, we're going to ask you kind of a, a futuristic question, but but I want to do this a little bit different. This is Teacher Appreciation Week and Rural Teacher Appreciation Week. So can you just quickly talk about the teachers? You don't have to name them if you don't want to, but the teachers that made the impact and maybe steered you in the in your career direction through your K-12 experience. This is so exciting for me. I didn't know I was going to get this question. So I'm very excited. I didn't get any, you know, you've been a great job having this conversation, but um, I am a product of public schools from the beginning. And I uh, have done all my training at West Virginia University. Going back to, to kindergarten, um, uh, Mrs. Fields was my kindergarten teacher. And, and I was one of those kids. And I know probably people listening in, they have these, these students. I cried. Uh, when I first went to school, I had severe, now I know, separation anxiety from my mom. And, and I was just afraid to be in school. And the reassurance and the support that I got from my kindergarten teacher really, at that early age, laid the foundation of my curiosity and my desire to to learn more. And I just saw how compassionate she was and, and I felt it. And it really uh, allowed me to learn to love school. And I loved learning and, um, you know, to, to go into a healthcare field or, you know, to, to get any advanced degree, you got to love school because you're in it for a long time. And, and really that laid the foundation. Um, and then in high school, I, my, my physics and calculus teacher, uh, Mr. Carey, he really was the one who I think helped me believe um, that I could, no one in my family is a, a, a doctor. Um, I'm actually the first person in my family to, to graduate college. And so he really helped me believe in myself that I could potentially go on to college and uh, be whatever I wanted to be, whether that would be a pediatrician or what have you. And so I really appreciated uh, that confidence he helped instill in me, as well as the tools. Uh, my, my college physics class was way easier because I had such a great high school uh, physics teacher. And so those are the two teachers in a list of, of many. Um, I still keep in contact with a lot of uh, teachers that I, I had. Um, um, and I played sports, as you mentioned, so had an opportunity to engage in sports. Um, my, my coach, I still keep in, in contact with him. He, uh, Coach Case, helped me decide what college I was going to attend. And, and, you know, always for me, it was, you know, where can I go play ball that also will help me become uh, what I want to be academically. So um, this is a sincere thank you to all teachers out there, the work that you do. It's so, it deserves so much more credit than it gets. But me personally, um, I've been so impacted by teachers. And I think there's so many teachers out there that probably don't even realize the impact that they've had um, on people that go on to get to be involved in different things. So a genuine thank you. Thank you both to you all for the work that you do to spread information, but thank you sincerely to all the 
the teachers out there making a difference. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I did pop that one on you because it kind of hit me as you talked about your journey. Um, but that's amazing. And that's what rural schools are all about is, is this uh, starting in kindergarten that you had this uh, had a person in your life that really made you feel comfortable about learning and then up to your your high school career, having someone that taught you advanced, you know, uh, sciences and the math and, and, and really the STEM areas that led you to where you are now and, and also your coach, amazing stories. And, and I think that's the best part. And Chris, I know you do a podcast about first gen college students that hit a lot of areas there. Oh yeah. I, did. With. I know you were probably going crazy on the other end. So you want to get this before we do the last question. So uh, in, uh, in place of our colleague, Jared, uh, we asked one question at the end of every episode, which is, um, if you were Harry Potter for a day and you could wave your magic wand and wish anything into existence um, that you think would benefit rural education, medical awareness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you only get one wish, so you can't use it for more wishes, what would you, Dr. Cassell, what would be your big wish that you'd like to see become manifest? Mm, this is a good question. So since I only get one wish, um, if I had a wand to help our our schools and, and really our communities, for me, I think what I've seen and, and felt and experienced and really grateful to have been a part of in my state is um, how the, the wand would strengthen community partnerships um, across the board. And, and I think you, you said I only get one wish, but that wish really does empower so many different things to happen in our uh, communities. And we've seen that at least in my career more in the pandemic. Um, so many community organizations uh, paired with schools worked together to solve really tough problems. Um, I recently heard this, you know, dealing with this pandemic has been like getting a jigsaw puzzle delivered to you each day that you have to put together, but the front of the box doesn't have the picture of the puzzle that you're supposed to put together. And because of community partnerships, I think we've been able to address some of these big challenges and schools and our education leaders have been right at the heart of that. And so I think moving forward, whether it's food security, substance use disorder, mental health, um, other diseases that tend to impact particularly rural communities, I think if we can use those community partnerships and continue to strengthen them, we'll be able to, to make a difference in those other challenging areas that we've, we felt. So that would be, be my wish, that we can, can continue to strengthen those community partnerships. And I think that that will uh, lead to many different wishes that would happen in our community and really solve challenging problems that, that we all face. That, uh, great answer. Uh, you get it on so many levels. So you get the kudos rule and high five award today. That great. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you, this, this has been, I, I could go probably about an hour and a half, two hours on this. And I'm going, I don't do this normally. We're going to put this out there. You're welcome back anytime. And if you want yes. to dig in deeper this summer on some things, love to have you. Absolutely. Um, and love to kind of, uh, get uh you know of course jared on and and, and we have another uh, special co-host that is dr brad mitchell out of ohio so we do these things together we talk about the federal lens and the state lens on a lot of stuff so you're welcome 
anytime back. You, uh, so I will be reaching out to you. So you've you've uh, committed one sin. You've given me your contact info. So I will be able to get in touch with you. Um, I'm happy is- to come back. I think there's so much information that changes. Thank you guys for sharing this information with your your listeners. And like I said, you you gained a new listener. So I'd be happy to come back and really enjoyed talking with you all this today. So so on this podcast, when it is when it is, uh, Chris, is it dropped or uploaded? You tell me. Uh, uh, we always call it dropped. So yeah, so we're going to this is dropped. You, you will have social media uh, information. You'll have um, some basics on where you can find out more information. Obviously, that Dr. Costello shared with us. But uh, th- this is going to be very interesting. And then we're also going to make sure that we look. We're, we're watching in June for big information from the FDA and the CDC. So we'll keep that in play. Um, but th- this has been a great show and we thank you for being here, Chris. Great job as always. And remember to, to visit when learning, when learning's link will be on the podcast. They're a great sponsor and doing some great work in Tennessee, actually doing statewide contracts in West Virginia. So they're doing a lot of work in West Virginia as well. So it's good to have that connection piece with when learning. So until next time, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And this has been a great episode. Thanks everyone. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jerry Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.